Before we get started, I want to give you just a little bit of background. Uh, we're going to be in Corinth, and uh, Corinth is a large cosmopolitan city uh, in Greece. It was a, it's a major, major center of commerce, and it's located between two seaports. Uh, the first one on the, the northwest would be Lycaon, and, on, and it has access to the Adriatic Sea. And then on the, on the southeast side is Korea, and that opens up the Aegean Sea. Now, what happened between these two places is ships would come in, they would offload their cargo, and they would take it, take it up to the other one. And, of course, while they were transporting these containers along these, these trails, there broke out what you would call the typical maritime um, clientele. Uh, I'm trying to be a nice way to say sailors. Um, as a guy who spent some time in the Navy, I understand the kind of life that goes along with maritime folks. In fact, uh, uh, the word Corinthians, if you uh, uh, translate to that, to live like a Corinthian, means to live an immoral lifestyle. So uh, the only way I can look at probably what that might have looked like back in their day is uh, from my experience in the, in the Navy in, uh, I think it was 1978, I went to the Philippines. And the first night we went out in town, I saw total debauchery. There was, uh, it was the most crazy thing I've ever seen. Uh, and I grew up as a farm boy in Missouri, and I'd never seen anything like that. And it was crazy. It was just bars, prostitutes, things like that everywhere. And I think that's probably what was going on in that area of Corinth. And so when they say it's to live like a Corinthian was to live an immoral lifestyle, there was a lot of that going on. And the reason I want to spend some time talking about the background is because if you don't have a context when you read Scripture, you can make that into anything you want it to be. So I want to spend some time just talking about what that might have looked like when, when Paul showed up there. And as I said, Corinth was, was a was new city. Uh, nothing there was really more than 100 years old because it kind of been destroyed and the big stuff had been rebuilt. And it was also the most Roman sin, uh, city in Greece. And the religion of the Corinthians was, was idolatry. They had that all over the place. They had Aphrodite, the goddess of love, um, that kind of was uh, over, over the hills and looked over the city. Uh, they had the perimeter inside the Gora. They had the, the sun god Apollo that looked over there. And they had a Greek god of healing. So they had all these gods with little g's all over the city. Now, you might think there was no God with the big G, Yahweh, but I believe from the diaspora when uh, the northern and southern kingdom fell, there were some Jews that made their way uh, further westward, and they were there. There was a synagogue, and they worshipped Yahweh in that time. And we're going to see that uh, Paul makes his way into those areas, and he begins to talk about that. Like I said, the worship was present. There was a Jewish settlement in Corinth, and um, that, that's Paul's going to be there, and he's going to spend some time with them. Now, Luke has a brief account of Paul's um, time there, but there's also another corroborating account 
that we see in First and Second Corinthians that was written at a later date. But that also influences, impacts how we see what Paul does at there in, in Corinth. So the major carrier, uh, characters of this time are we're looking at Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke as we take this second missionary journey. And um, I want to go over a few points that, that just really impact me about, about Paul and how he lived and I think that really influences, to a large degree, how we see this play out in Acts 18. And I'm going to start with uh, Pentecost, Acts 2. Now, you're probably saying, well, Paul wasn't there. Well, he might have been there. He might have been watching, but he certainly didn't receive the Spirit at that point. So I'm going to read, start at Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a Violet wind from heaven came and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in another tongue as the Spirit enabled them. Then if we move down to to verse 36 in Acts 2, Peter speaking now. And he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, and for all who, whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from the corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. This is an incredible time. This is the birth of the New Testament church. The Spirit is just poured out on people like never before. It's an incredible experience. And it's the genesis for what's going to happen for the rest of Acts and actually for the next 2,000 years. That, that, that message is critical to what happened. And I said, I don't know if, if Paul was there and saw that, but what I do know is it impacted his life significantly. Now, he, he hadn't had the Spirit impact his life in this manner yet. But where I want to shift now is to Acts 9, because this moment and this text forever changed Paul. He was never the same after this encounter. So if we look at Acts 9, I'm just going to take just a little bit of this. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus, let me, let me back up just a minute. Paul is on a capture and kill mission. He, his, I mean, he put it in military terms, capture and kill. He's going to go out and take prisoners, take them, take them back to Jerusalem, or he may just lose them along the way. I think that's a possibility if somebody just died along the way. That was fine with him because he was so zealous to take care of the problem that he w- that wouldn't have bothered him. But anyway, he's on the road to Damascus. He has marching orders to go root out and get rid of Christians. And so as he's walking along this road, We pick up in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, 
Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. You see, Paul was going to be a chosen instrument by God to transform the world. Now, at this point, Paul is forever changed. He will never be the guy he was before that. And that impacts what we see in Acts and what we see largely the rest of the New Testament. Now, there's a, there's an essential list of things also that we as believers, we need to know. And uh, Paul was trying to figure this out before he, he went on his, his next missionary trip. After his first one, we're, we're leading up to the second one he's on, but after his first missionary trip, Paul knew that he was going to have to, to be very concise about what he taught people. And so he, he struggled with how we're going to integrate Gentiles and Jews together. There's something, I, I, he, I know he knew that this was going to be a problem, and he had to have it sorted out before he went back for his next trip. So there's this essential list that he's got to have. For us, it, it might be the Apostles' Creed, but that, that was way before the Apostles' Creed. He's got to figure out how to integrate two groups that don't really want to be integrated. How, how do you deal with circumcision? How do you deal with dietary rules? How do you deal with all this food stuff? How do you deal with idols? How do you deal? I need to go back to Jerusalem and talk to some people about this and figure out how we're going to do this. So in Acts 15, Paul comes to the Jerusalem Council. And we pick up the text here. In, um, I think it's uh, 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. And essentially, what he's saying at this point is to avoid idols or things that are sacrificed to them and immorality. Just two things. Immorality and idolatry. Now this has been a basic tenet of Christianity. I shouldn't say Christianity, but through the Bible, the prophets railed. We're studying Micah in my church. and they, Micah just went off on idolatry and immorality. And if you go through every prophet... That's kind of what they're talking about. Idolatry and immorality. They have a broken record. They just keep going over the same thing over and over and over. And the people aren't getting it. Well, the Jerusalem Council says the same thing. Go back and tell them no idolatry and no immorality. And so I believe these three texts and these three events were huge on Paul's heart as he started out on his third missionary journey. So, uh, now, if you disagree with me and you think they didn't impact Paul too much, that's okay. We'll, we can have that discussion. Uh, but I'd, I'd point you, if you think that's the case, to Acts 26:14, where Paul is before Festus and Agrippa, and he's fighting. He's fighting for his essentially his life because he's going to go to Rome, and they're they're charging him. And the only thing he wants to tell them is simply 
about his Damascus Road experience. So I don't know about you, but for me, if I was before the judge, I was going to go to jail. I don't think I'd be talking about my conversion experience. I don't think I'd be talking about a mission trip to Brazil. I'd simply be saying, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to do it. Please let me go. I'd be begging for mercy. That's all. I wouldn't be t- trying, to, trying to tell them about Jesus. I'd be trying to get out of trouble. That's what I'd be doing. Um, and I think the last point I want to make before I dive into 18, you're probably thinking like I'm never going to get there. But the last point I want to make about Paul is I think somewhere along that Damascus Road experience or after that, he felt like he had died. And everything after that was gain. And there was nothing that the world could do to Paul to hurt him, to change him. He had a single laser-like focus to the future and to bringing people to Christ. And the only people I've seen that have that kind of... um, aura about them are a couple POWs that I've, I've, I've spoken with from Vietnam. Nothing bothered them. See, they died, they realized they were dead, and everything after that was gain. There was nothing you could do to upset them, bother them. They were just enjoying life. And I think there's Paul's a little bit like that, that he'd already lost it all and everything else was gain. So, here's what you've been waiting for. Acts 18. Here we go. I want to start with uh, Paul's arrival into Corinth. So he's he's coming in from from Turkey and around that way, and, and uh, he he comes down. So after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Greeks and the Jews. Now, I want to kind of go through this a little bit and talk about his arrival there. The Jews, so that that Aquila, that just means there were some folks there, okay? That they had come from, from probably Rome or whatever, because Claudius had expelled them. But there was a Jewish community in Corinth that they, they linked up with. And you remember, Paul was a tent maker too. So, you know, we tend to hang out with people that do the same kind of things we do. So that's naturally what he, he would have an attraction to Jewish folks, uh, same business as he was in. So I'm sure they had some great conversations about commerce, about how to make tents, all that. But they also, as they were working... He would go to the synagogue every every Sabbath, and he would try to persuade the Jews and the Greeks that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is the Lord. So hold on to those thoughts for a minute, and I want to move down to, to verse 5 here. And, and there's a witness in the city that he's having. It's not just the synagogue, but there's people all around him that are, are hearing what he's saying. So when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, you know, they were, they were coming around, they came down, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, to testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Let's hold on to that for a minute. How was he doing that in the synagogue? How was he telling the Jews that Jesus was Lord? 
I believe he's using the Torah and he's going right through there. And when he's when there's Yahweh, he's saying that's Jesus, that's Jesus, that's Jesus, that's Jesus. It's right out of the Torah, he's telling them that that's the guy I met on the Damascus Road. Remember, I said Damascus Road experience. I, I know he's telling them that that Jesus, the guy I met on the road, is Yahweh right here. So he's he's going on talking about that. But back to the text, verse six. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook off his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Okay, this is a big point. This is a big point. He's saying that I'm done with y'all. Now, we think that he's really done, but he's not really done. What, What I think that means is there's a shift of his focus. You know, instead of heading three three zero, he's he's going zero three zero. He's not totally going away from them, but but his focus now, his thrust, his his passion is now for for Gentiles, not Jews. Now I'm not saying that he's not going to ever talk to a Jew because he is. He's going to spend time with Jews, but his focus, his passion, is to see people that are not Jews come to the Lord. It took him a mission trip and a half to get to this point. It took him a while. But finally, it's like, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So, right after he says this in verse 7, then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus, just as a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Man, you talk about things changing right off the bat. He walks out the door. He, he, he starts hitting them, and man, they start believing, and he starts baptizing, and, and I think God said, hey, it will never be the same for you. This is what the rest of your life is going to look like. You're not going to butt your head against people who don't want to hear the word in the synagogue. And that might be something for the church in 2021, that don't butt your heads with the people who don't want to hear. Find the people who need to hear and are receptive. Don't, don't keep just banging your head against the wall. Um. So that, that to me, I see Paul, he's changed his direction. God's blessed that right off the bat. God blessed that right off the bat. But at the same time, if we pick up the text in, in verse 9, um, Jesus is going to come tell him it's going to be okay, but there's still going to be some problems. There's still going to be some problems. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. That had to be very comforting him to know that there were people that, that surrounded him, even people that he did not know that would protect him and care for him and love him as he stayed there and worked. It was a year and a half, and we pick up the text in in verse 11. It says that. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the Word of God. So I've got to point out that the Word of God that you're holding in your hands wasn't the Word of God he had. He did not have a Bible. This is revelatory stuff that's just pouring into him as he speaks to Gentiles. There were some, some written words. He had the Torah, and he had the Hebrew Bible, but he did not have what we have. 
So that was coming in just straight mainlining it from God. Verse 12, Gallio was the proconsul of Achaia. The Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to a place of judgment. Like, wait a minute, I thought it just said in verse 10, no one is going to attack or harm you. Remember I said that Paul thought he was dead and this stuff didn't bother him. So I think what, what, what the Lord's telling him is, is there's no one that's going to stop you from your mission. Now, you're going to get hurt. You're going to experience pain and suffering. But no one will stop you because I've surrounded you with people to help you. So they, I'll, I'll pick back up and read that again. The Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to a place of judgment. This man, they charge, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Now, I kind of think that's a little bit about what they were saying to Jerusalem about Jesus. He's, he's corrupt in our system. And it's the same thing right here. They're saying Paul's corrupt in our system. Well, you know what that also means, right? He's getting in our pocketbooks. <laughs> He's messing up my business. He's messing up my income. He's messing up my family. And now he's messing up my church. So, so Paul is just messing up all kind of things. And he's persuading the people to, to, to leave the Jewish faith is what they're, they're uh, complaining about. But now I like what, what happens next. And this, this is, this is kind of like what happens in Jerusalem. With, we're, we're looking towards Easter here just a little bit. And, and there's this Pontius Pilate and Herod and all that stuff going on. The same kind of stuff with Jesus. Listen to what Gallio says. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves a question about words and names and your own law, go settle that matter yourself. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. And the crowd turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Wow. It's part of me that as I read this story, I see Jesus. And, you know, what? And then they don't want to really deal with him because. Well, that's a Jewish problem. I don't want to get involved with Roman law, so well, let's leave that alone. That's the same kind of stuff going on here. They don't want to deal with this. They want them to settle it, but they also know it's getting in their pocketbook and it's causing all kinds of problems. So Paul went on about his second missionary journey and his third, and he wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. But one thing I don't understand sometimes, I struggle with, is what that Damascus Road experience, what happened during that that totally, totally changed Paul forever? I know he had had an encounter with Christ. I've had an encounter with Christ. But it hasn't changed me to be like Paul. So what happened to Paul that day that propelled him to just dedicate his life with a single focus to the Gentiles with a little reflection towards the Jews? 
I think what he experienced is unconditional love. You see, he was a zealot for a, a political party. And I think there's a word for this today. I think he realized when he spent the time with Christ on that road that his political party was not the top thing. There was, there was something bigger than his political party. Because he experienced a love that is not of this world. And for me, I struggle with that. I struggle with how do I, how do I love people the way God wants me if I don't really totally understand that unconditional love. And I know this, this sounds pretty corny, but something happened to me this summer that, that really showed me, and as I reflect back on it, what unconditional love looks like. Um, I had this dog, Sophie. I just love her. and I'll start crying here in a minute. She, uh, August 31st, I put her down. And it was, I'm still struggling. I still struggle with it. Because she showed me unconditional love. Every time I came home from work, she would meet me at the door. And all she asked for, she said, can we just sit down? Tell me about what you're, where you've been and what you've been doing. All she wanted was me to love her. The whole time I went through seminary, she would sit by my side in my office. And all she wanted me to do was to pet her. If you said, Sophie, let's go read the Bible, she would go into my office and we would sit down and we would read the Bible. She never asked me for anything other than the food and the water. But she just wanted to love me and spend time with me. I think somewhere along the line, that is what Paul experienced on the road to Damascus. Christ came down and filled him with the love of the Father, a love that he had never experienced. All, in all the time of Judaism, he had never experienced someone that gave him unconditional love. It was a workspace. I mean, if you study this and do this and you do this and you do this, then you can be this. And if you do this, you can do that. Jesus came down and said, Paul or Saul, we're all done with that. I'm going to show you something different. I'm going to show you the Father's love. Everything you've done is forgiven. Now, a lot of people have a cart behind them with all the stuff they've done. And they can't let go of that. See, Paul could have been paralyzed by his past. Now, if it was me, every Christian I'd killed or put in prison would probably be right there in the front of my mind. Christ dealt with that. And he cleaned that all up. And he gave him a new heart from the inside out. And on that road, he was a transformed new creation. A vessel for love. I mean, before... Paul might have been able to receive that, but at the bottom of his heart was a valve that was closed. And when the Holy Spirit came in and opened that up, and the love began to flow through him. Now, I'm not saying uh, that he was all warm fuzzy, because I think Paul was a pretty rough guy to be around. But love can be rough too, but it's, it's truth as it flows through. So that's, that's my message for you today, to receive 
unconditional love and to try to understand. Maybe you just got to pet a dog to understand what unconditional love is. But you can't give it, I don't think, if you haven't experienced it. And that's my, my hope and my prayer for you today that that, that healing that, that Paul received on that road, you can receive the same healing where, where Christ comes inside your body and begins to destroy the stuff that's in there that needs to leave and opens up a pathway, a conduit for you to share what Christ has done in your life. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, I thank you for this moment in time. and I, I don't know who's going to listen to this. I don't know what your, your hurt is. But God, I pray for each person who listens to this that whatever is just bottled up inside, that the Spirit of Jesus Christ can come in and break that up, bust it loose like a, like a big clot buster, and just open up your heart to allow Christ's love to flow through you. And just like Paul on that road, when, when all the stuff that he'd done in his past, he could have carried that with him, but it was left there on that road. And God, I pray that in this moment that you ask for, for God to deal with your past and to leave it behind so that you can have a future filled with hope and love and that, that you will be a vessel to share that love with a world that is broken, that is fearful, that is hurting. May that love flow from you with reckless, reckless abandon. And I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me To every generation He gives the joy of His salvation Oh, God's mercy so amazes me As I watch the world around me I can see His mighty hand Delivering His people From the evil in this land The wounded and the broken hearted 